Milton wrote The other 51 How do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time Every day you fight like you're running out of time Like you're running out of time Are you running out of time? How do you write like tomorrow won't arrive? How do you write like you needed to survive? Stacey May Falls, welcome to The Other 51. Thanks for joining me today. It's so nice to be here. Thanks so much. So uh, before we get to writing, um, I do need to ask a really important question to start off. What the heck's going on with the Blue Jays this year? <laughs> I knew that was going to be your question. <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it, it's funny because I, I actually started following them again this year. Um, I grew up I grew up in Buffalo, so I kind of grew up as a Blue Jays fan. And of course, yeah. It drifted away from it throughout the years, and then I've really wanted to kind of get back into baseball, just you know, to have a team and follow it. And the Blue Jays seem natural. And you know, my sister is a sports writer in Buffalo, and she covers the AAA affiliate in Buffalo, so I kind of know enough about the team to get by. And so I started following them this year, and my God, what the heck? What's going on? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's funny because you, you know, I would have said in. Uh, in April that you picked a great time. (laughs) It wouldn't have panned out so well. Um, I have, I have been very down recently. Um, But having said that, you know, they've just come out of New York and, and it's been good. Mm -hmm. So I'm clinging to those wins right now. I'm clinging to the Asuna striking out judge moment. um, Uh, Just because, you know, you have to collect up the crumbs wherever you can. (laughs) It just seems like, 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 so what was that like being in Toronto for the last couple of years and the run? Because obviously Toronto's a, you know, it's hockey town uh, better than anybody else. But when the Jays are good, that's a really good baseball town. So the last couple of years, what's it been like seeing that the kind of resurgence that the team's had? Um, you know, obviously it's been amazing. Um, I, I actually can't even believe it happened. To be <laughs> you. Um, and, and I mean, the timing is interesting for me cause I, I've been, um, you know, I've been a writer for, you know, I, I've been writing for well over a decade, but, um, I've only been writing about baseball for probably about the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the timing for me was really interesting. Um, when I started writing about baseball, I sort of assumed I'd be writing about a mediocre team and that was fine with me um, right. just because I loved the game so much. And then, you know, just when I was starting to, you know, really get set up professionally in terms of writing about the team on a regular basis, there was this ascendance. So <laughs> really, um, it, it was, you know, I feel very blessed in that regard, um, you know, and, and for people who have read the book, they'll know that a lot of the contents of Baseball Life Advices is, is um, that incredible run, um, 2015, 2016, and how, you know, it it transformed the city. Um, it, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways it changed the face of fandom in the city. Um, it changed who could be a fan. Um, it's it was transformative in a lot of ways. And, you know, the, the ballpark now there, there was a time where, you know, I remember going to the ballpark and you could hear other people's conversations. It was so empty. Um, you could, you know, you would go and, and, you know, by the third or fourth inning, you would sneak down to the expensive seats because nobody bought them. Um, and the ushers were fine with it. Mm -hmm. And now it's, um, even though the team is suffering when I, you know, was at the ballpark for, you know, the long weekend, um, Canada day, long weekend, you know, it was, the attendance was ridiculous. So, 
it has definitely changed um, Toronto. Toronto is definitely more of a baseball town than it has been in a very long time. How's it changed fandom in the city? Um, I think it's just expanded it, you know, and, and it's become, you know, at least from where I'm sitting, it's become more inclusive, mm-hmm. um, which is a really nice thing. You know, I, I feel like a lot more people, you know, people deride the bandwagon. Um, but the great thing with the bandwagon is that people feel welcome, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. Because there's sort of a critical mass that happens. And instead of this, you know, you know, baseball being this really sort of insidery kind of like clubhouse, you know, cool kid thing, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. hilarious in itself, um, you know, it feels sort of more, more open. Um, which, you know, has been great. I, you know, so many people I know who had no interest in, in baseball and no interest in sports in general are now, um, because of the rise of the team, so much more interested in seeing um, the joys of the game and, you know, approaching the game in a way that feels comfortable for them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, so often we're, we're kind of like, you know, you got to be really into stats and you got to know how every pitch works and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think that, because Toronto has become so much more of a baseball town, people can just love the game in any way they want, which is such a nice thing. And it must be interesting, too. I'm putting on my – I went, spent too many years in grad school and studied sociology hat on this. But I, it's got to be interesting as a juxtaposition to the hockey culture in town. And Canadian hockey culture is very you know, conservative, very kind of traditional, very kind of play the game the right way, cheer, you know, do things the right way. And I'm wondering if there's a juxtaposition with that and baseball, and especially this team with Batista and the bat flip and kind of uh, <laughs> the the kind of more, I don't know, for lack of a better word, just like the, the joy that that can bring to the, the joy that that team had. There was a, a real spirit about this Jays team the last two years. It just wasn't that they were good. It's that they were good and they were fun. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if you've heard how many people hate Jose Batista. I don't oh, know if yeah. you're aware of I'm that. Aware of that yeah. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Um, but I, you know, being inside it, being inside Jay's fandom, um, I actually, it, it's hard for me to sort of understand what the external perspective of the team is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of always surprised when, um, you know, people tell me that they are loathed for their, their showboating. And, you know, because for me, um, I don't, I don't have a lot of those I, I haven't grown up in a sort of play the game the right way kind of culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just expect everybody to bat flip and fist pump and, <laughs> you know, yell things. And, you know, we just, we just lost Jason Grilly and, and Jason Grilly um, was a pitcher that I really enjoyed because, you know, he would get a strikeout and he would just yell things, <laughs> um, which, which I just found completely energizing. And it made me really excited about his appearances Um, And, you know, as somebody who, you know, my obsessive fandom came later in life, it's really hard for me to understand this, you know, this idea that to play the game the right way, you have to pretend that nothing good happens. Right. (laughs) It's sort of bizarre. And I, and I think for a lot of J fans, you know, who are sort of inside, inside their fandom, they, they, they actually, that sort of loathing of Batista's behavior, for example, comes as a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at least it did for me. So how much? Like, how can people hate yeah. Jose Batista? The, I just don't. The the, <laughs> the 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 bat flip. My sister and I will send that to each other when we're depressed. Like, we will just send the bat flip gift because it's the best moment in base. One of the best moments in baseball the last two three years. It was just the ultimate. Oh yeah, I just. 
I just watch that whole inning. You know, sometimes <laughs> just, especially in the winter, I'll just like you know it'll be mid December and I'll just sit down and be like, I think I want to watch that whole inning again. So <laughs> how much I does, understand that completely. <laughs> yeah, how much does that that kind of outsider late in life to fandom perspective? How much do you think that helps you as a writer writing about baseball? Um, I mean, I think it, it's interesting um, in terms of I, I'm it's, there's a part of me that thinks you know, I, I come to it fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I had, I had a really great opportunity in terms of writing the baseball life at newsletter, um, baseball life advice newsletter where I, you know, when I was experimenting with, you know, voice and, and the way I was going to approach the game and the way I wanted to write about the game, you know, I was sort of responsible to myself and readers and not to an editor or a, you know, organization or a platform. Um, so I got to really sort of do something that felt comfortable for me, um, which is a real blessing, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not trying to sort of, you know, speak in the voice of the baseball writer, quote unquote, right? You're just, right. this is me and I'm writing about the game. And, um, and I, you know, I really lucked out because, you know, as an arts and culture writer, um, I was writing about baseball for some of the venues I'd written about books for, or, you know, venues I'd written about television for. Um, so my approach was different than sort of the typical mainstream sports writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun. Like it was, a, it was a fun way to approach the game. It was a different way to approach the game. And I didn't feel really sort of tied to this tradition of the way in which we write about sports Mm -hmm. um but you know and i i think that that is a benefit because i think a lot of people you know they they feel sort of you know hemmed in by by what is expected of the sports writer um but you know i've been working on this project for the last year or so um best canadian sports writing Mm -hmm. and uh it's an anthology that's coming out in the fall with my co-editor pasha bala and it's been a really interesting journey seeing how people approach sports and how the you know there's no right or wrong way to approach the game in terms of writing mm-hmm. um and the more avenues people have to do it in and the more perspectives and the more approaches people have the actually the more interesting it can be yeah. um so you know, I think the benefit for me was just that I wasn't sort of stuck in this, this is the way a sports writer is supposed to write. Um, and not that I think there's anything wrong with the way sports writers write. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I, I just think that, you know, there is more than one way to do it. And I I was really blessed to be given the opportunity to try some different ways. Yeah, I, tell, I teach a sports writing class and I'll, I'll, every semester I'll have a couple students who aren't sports fans, they like need it for an elective or they want to take the course or whatever. And I always tell mm-hmm. them at, at, in the first class, I started telling them you're the lucky ones because the rest of us, as I was a sports writer for 10 years, the rest of us kind of know we're so inside. We know what's expected. We know you're coming at this thing completely blind, completely fresh. And that's an advantage that I wish I had as a writer to that, that kind of new eye to be able to see things in a different way, and especially something like sports, which to an outsider can feel real, you know, to use the cliche inside baseball or real kind of oh, insidery yeah. and like you don't really get it. And, you know, I think one of the best things that's happened to sports writing is, you know, all of these sites, like this kind of writing you do and a lot of other writers do is that it's not sports writing. Isn't just a game story and a feature on a player anymore. Now it's a lot wider. And I think that's better for everybody, for the audience, for writers, for everybody. 
Oh, and for sure. And there's so much great writing coming from the fan perspective, Mm -hmm. um, which I think, you know, traditional sports journalism tends to sort of, you know, deride or mock even, you know, and, and this, this idea like, you know, of bloggers in a sort of dismissive sense. Right. Um, But, you know, you, you read these incredible pieces about, you know, how, how the game touches people in the stands, um, which is a perspective that we don't, we don't celebrate a lot and we don't talk about a lot, but, you know, as, as a person who, you know, has written a book about that perspective, I am on the receiving end of a lot of people's stories about how, you know, this game in particular has helped them through some of the worst parts of their life. And those stories are so human and compelling and beautiful. And, you know, to just dismiss them as not serious is, is, you know, it's a detriment to the entire culture of sports writing. So I, I, I got to know you through the newsletter, uh, Baseball Life Advice, which is awesome. I'll put the link to subscribe in show notes. Everyone should definitely subscribe. How did that, how did that newsletter start? Like, where did that, that idea come from and how did you actually start doing it? Um, well, it's sort of twofold. Part of it had to do with um, a frustration of not really being able to find a place for my work in sports writing culture, right? Okay. So, um, you know, and I think I think all new sports writers find you know find this 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 struggle and this experience. It's really hard to find a place to put your writing. It's it's you know. And I, you know, I was having some success, but um, I wanted to be able to write consistently, um, you know, and, and so the way that felt comfortable for me was um, to write in this sort of closed platform instead of on a blog or a website, Um, just because it, you know, for two reasons, one, it, it, you know, it sort of lended an intimacy that you know, mm-hmm. more public writing doesn't have, but it also felt safer um, because, you know, as somebody who's been writing for a long time, who's been a freelancer for a long time, I, I'm on the receiving end of a great deal of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I was quickly learning that sports writing can be a place where people are not very nice. Right. <laughs> so, so I just started, you know, the newsletter started with about 111 subscribers when it started. Um, and I was just sending out this email um, about, things that were going on in the league, Um, you know, and, and I believe, you know, one of the first ones was, you know, a rookie's first home run and it was an inside the park home run. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was a baby born at Petco park that I wrote about. um, And it was sort of these more irreverent things that happened at the ballpark. Um, But sort of the, the baseball life advice idea came from the idea that um, baseball players are constantly saying these things that could be applied to how you live your life. And, the way you can better live your life. Um, So every single newsletter had a piece of baseball life advice from a player. Um, And that's sort of how it got started. Um, And then as time went on, the, the, it sort of became sort of um, a weekly essay slash life advice column, really. Mm -hmm. Um, And it grew and the subscribers grew and, you know, my commitment to it grew, I guess Mm -hmm. you would say. Um, so now we're sort of around 3,000 subscribers. We, I guess it's just me. <laughs> um, uh, we're about 3,000 subscribers now. And, it, and it's such a pleasure. Like, it's, it's such a lovely thing. And it's, um, it's connected me to so many amazing people all over North America. Um, you know, 
talking about baseball. It's, um, and there's some, there's something that feels so personal about it. Like people, it gets, it goes into people's inboxes and they write me back and, um, and it just feels like a really warm, loving celebration of this game, which, you know, I never anticipated it would, it would turn into this, but I'm so grateful it has. Was there a, when you talk about like baseball players saying the life advice quotes, was there one early on that you remember that kind of caught your attention? It was like, huh, there's like that, this is applicable to my life. And it's kind of like the Kickstarter of it all. Well, the, the first, the very first baseball life advice was from John Gibbons, which was, um, I I think I'm paraphrasing a little bit of what we didn't get many hits, but we sure hit some balls hard. (laughs) And, and I just thought, you know, so much of baseball is about, you know, failing, but recognizing your hard work and coming close and trying. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think, you know, anybody can identify with the idea that sometimes it's just not good enough. Um, but you can still acknowledge that you did it sounds so cliche and so much of this is cliche. Right. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe in some ways baseball life advice is a celebration of the cliche. Hmm. Um, <laughs> um, but you know, baseball is, is it's, so, it's so, it can be so torturous and so painful and so demoralizing <laughs> um, that it, you know, you kind of force yourself. It, for me, at least it's been an exercise in finding the good. Okay. So, you know, we started out this conversation where you're like, what is going on with the Jays? And I'm like, yeah, but they won. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I mean, I think a lot of baseball life advice had to do with finding these, these amazing quotes that come out of scrums where players are just so either so matter of fact about loss or they manage to find the silver lining and something demoralizing. And um, for me, that's very inspiring as a person, you know, and in the context of the newsletter, I tend to be very optimistic, whereas mm-hmm. in my day to day life, I'm not so much. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there is a selfish impulse there. <laughs> it's funny. I was talking a, a few months ago, I had Molly Knight on the podcast and we were talking about her book uh, where she covered, where she wrote about the Dodgers uh, seasons a few years ago. And we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And I felt this from the days when I covered baseball, that of all the sports, I feel like, baseball is the most relatable to kind of like day-to-day life. Like you can't really get life. Like, like it's tough to get like inspiration for day-to-day life from a football player. Um, mainly because like their sport is once a week and they're all, you know, it's a very kind of amped up sport or basketball similar, but there's something about the baseball where it's not just every day, but it's very, it's a work day, right? Like they get to the park at two, they have uh, BP at three, three thirty. And it's very much like a work day. And so there, I, I, I find it, I don't know if you find this too, but there's something very relatable about following baseball and the rhythms of it more so to everyday life than, you know, any other sport, I think. Oh, and sure. I, I think too, and this might be a little bit of a stretch. There's, there is, you know, in terms of superhuman athletes, mm-hmm. I feel like baseball players are the closest regular people will ever come to feeling like they might be able to do it. Right. <laughs> right? right. So, um, the, you know, the baseball players to me sometimes feel a little more like regular humans than say tennis players or, you know, track stars or um, just because there is this sort of, maybe I could, and I mean, I know rationally I could never do it, but right. <laughs> just, 
but you know, there is sort of this feeling of like, you can identify more um, and exactly what you're saying, relatable. Um, whereas like watching, you know, a bunch of soccer players, you're like, I, no, there's no way. No. <laughs> it's like, no, I'm not even close. Um, but yeah, no. And I feel like exactly your point to how it feels kind of nine to five ish in mm-hmm. some ways. It feels like, you know, they're just going to their jobs. They're, you know, million and million dollar jobs, but um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, and I also think the the way there's constant, I mean, there's constant interviews and constant like recaps and to have your failure so on display, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, and, you know, I did an event with Mark Kingwell recently and he was talking about how, you know, baseball is, is the only sport that has your mistakes broadcasted, like on the board. Right? <laughs> like, it's like, errors in full view of thousands of people mm-hmm. um you know it, it is a very it's a sport that that you know you sort of your mistakes are so openly displayed that it, it sort of forces the discussion of them constantly is there a piece of you probably i know we talked before we started recording how uh you've done you've done a lot of interviews for the book uh, since it came out. And so you've probably been asked this question, so I apologize, but is there a favorite piece of baseball life advice that you've written about or heard since you started this project? Um, I, I have, it, it's actually amazing to me because I, um, uh, for a really long time, I was a big fan of the underdog. I was an Adam, I'm very famously an Adam Lynn fan. Okay. <laughs> so um, I, I've been a fan of Adam Lynn for a really long time and I've actually followed him from team to team since he left the Jays. And um, there's a part of me that really hopes that Adam sees the world series this year, mm-hmm. which could, it could happen. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I found that, you know, when, as, as Jose Batista became sort of this hated villain, um, I just fell in love with him more and more. Um, and I sort of had this impulse to defend him at every turn. And, uh, I find that the things that he says, um, he, he would make an amazing life coach, honestly, (laughs) because, you know, and, and there's some quotes from him in the book where he just talks about how, um, how ridiculous it is that, you know, people want him to behave in a certain way and that they don't think he should be proud of his achievements. And, you know, there's a lovely quote from him where he just said, why, why would we want everybody to be the same? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just think that like so many of the things he says can be applied to our lives, especially for people who are feeling, um, you know, like they're not good enough or they're, you know, feeling insecure. Like he, he just has this ability to sort of make you feel bigger in the moment. Um, which I just love about him. You've a lot of your writing, especially with the baseball, um, newsletter is is very personal you've written a lot about uh your your personal uh some of the stuff you've gone through and and a lot of those issues that you that you've had and how difficult is that for you or was that to kind of start to write from a very personal point of view it's funny people ask me this a lot <laughs> <laughs> sorry um, I, 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 I mean we're at that part of the interview where I ask the questions that everyone asks you. I'm sorry about that. No, no, I, I don't mean it. I just mean that I feel, I feel like in the, 
I think it has a lot to do with the fact in the realm of sports, there isn't a lot of transparency about human issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you just think about how, you know, Asuna recently talking about anxiety, um, how revelatory that was and how people really, um, you know, maybe for a lack of a better word, celebrated the fact that he was talking openly about it. Um, And I, you know, I think in other spheres that wouldn't be the case, you know, um, and I, I, I actually feel very comfortable talking about my mental health issues and that has a lot to do with the work I've done Mm -hmm. on that front. And I know that, but, um, and it also has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, I'm a freelancer and I, you know, my community is very supportive of mental health issues. And, you know, I have, again, for lack of a better word, the luxury of talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really struck me that a lot of interviewers are um, talk about me being candid about mental health issues, and I actually feel like it should be normal to talk about them. Sure. Um, I... And and I and I th- I think that has a great deal to do with sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, there is actually a piece in the book about how um, the culture of sports actually makes it very difficult to talk about mental health. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it's not easy. <laughs> it's not, I mean it's it's not like I don't relish in it, um, but I do think that it's important. Um, and I think you know, given how common issues of anxiety and depression are. Um, you know, I, and how difficult it is for people to even say they're having a bad day. I -hmm. think it's really important for us to be open about issues like this if we're able to. And, you know, I'm in a position where I can be, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's going to mean difficult things for me in the future, but right now um, it feels, I I feel safe talking about um, the fact that I experienced depression and the fact that I still experience anxiety. Um, So yeah, I don't, I mean, yes and no. Okay. I think, I think the easiest way to put it is that it's worth it to Mm me. As someone who has dealt with both, I pre- I do appreciate your voice on this matters. It's very nice to hear re- hear someone and read someone talk about this stuff very candidly and openly, and matter of factly too, which I think is very helpful too. And well, of- I I had an interesting experience recently where I was doing an interview with Sportsnet, and you know, Sportsnet is not necessarily known for its candor on mental health issues. <laughs> <laughs> And um, the the person who was interviewing me in the middle of the interview said, you know, that they had dealt with mental health issues. And and I just found it, you know, I was in the booth at Sportsman and I just found it so surprising and refreshing. And I had to sort of check my own response to it because I guess my my assumption is that, you know, in the context of Sportsnet, a personality would not be talking about that. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, it, it just sort of speaks to the idea that there are so many spheres where it's still not okay to just say that you're having a hard time. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, and it's great. It's, it's great to have this conversation with you and, and have you acknowledge your issues and have me acknowledge mine. Um, and I think that's all, that's sort of a step in the right direction. So I know you've written a couple books in the past and you're working on one now. I'm just curious, what's your 
the writing process like when you write a novel or you're writing a memoir as opposed to kind of the shorter form pieces that you write from the newsletter or for the essays that you write online? What's it, it, what's your process like for your longer work? Um, I think, I mean, I think the hardest thing about the longer work is that it's very obvious that it's not done. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's, you know, there's this sense of closure when you write, you know, I write a weekly column on baseball and, um, you know, I usually write that in a day. And, and so you start at the beginning of the day and you end at the end of the day and then you file it and you feel like you've accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was sort of a period when I was working on baseball life advice. Um, I was, it was a very intense process because mm-hmm. it's, you know, it started sort of started at the beginning of the baseball season and ended towards, you know, in December um, because we wanted to get the Cubs world series in there. Right. So, um, I, it was a very like intense working process, but it never felt done. Okay. <laughs> so hmm. it's just, um, and you know, this was actually the most intense editing process I've ever been through. Um, I had an incredible editor at, at random house and she was just meticulous about things to, you know, more than any editor I'd ever worked with. Um, so we would often, you know, we'd be finished an essay and then we'd go and revisit it. Um, so there was there's certain essays in the book that like took the most time. Okay. <laughs> and they're probably the essays I hate the most <laughs> because they would just kind of they just like haunt me. You know, right. they'd, they'd be done in in April and then it'd be done in July and then you know. So um, I think that sort of um, freelance writers, um, especially people who are writing daily um they feel this like ongoing sense of completion and and working in book format you have to sort of let that go um and you know you have to sort of acknowledge the fact that you are working even when you're not working which is a really hard thing for writers to acknowledge i think um that that whole classic like when you're going for a walk around the block that's working right um i i'm really terrible with that mm-hmm. but um you know the like when I wake up in the morning, I, I try to sort of listen to a, a baseball podcast and, and take, you know, walk through my neighborhood and get my morning coffee um, just so I can get thinking about things. And I always, whenever I'm on that walk, feel like I'm wasting time, <laughs> which is really, um, which is sort of the, the plight of the freelancer because you know that every moment is a billable moment, right? right. So, What's the best thing you've read lately? The best thing I've read lately? That's a hard question. Um, I actually revisited Alison Gordon's book. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Foul uh, Ball. No, no, um, no. Okay. I've, just, I've been thinking about her a lot lately. And, um, you know, I, I wrote a piece recently. And she was the first um, female major league baseball beat writer. Mm-hmm. Um, she covered the Jays. Um, I think I want to say 1979 was when she started. Um, she covered the team for five years and she ended up writing a book about her experiences. Um, and I mean, the interesting thing about the book is that um, it's, it's amazing because, you know, she was such a groundbreaking figure and she endured so much. Um, she started writing um, just after women were allowed in clubhouses um, and locker rooms. So she, she had a very difficult time just simply doing her job Um but the other interesting thing with the book is about how much of it is still applicable, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit upsetting. Um, but also, it's it's 
you know, an incredible book. And I, I wrote a piece about her recently about how she should be honored in the level of excellence at mm-hmm. uh, the Rogers Center because I just think she's such an important um, figure in, in Major League Baseball. And, you know, I, in revisiting her book, it's, you know, one of those books, much like the summer game for me that, you know, I, I like to go back to repeatedly to sort mm-hmm. of remind myself why writing about this game is so important and why, you know, that there isn't just one way to write about this game. Um, you know, her style of writing was very different than the things you see day to day. So, yeah. So I, it's funny you mentioned revisiting a book is just yesterday I happened to pick up off my bookshelf, The Art of Fielding. Uh, oh my god (laughs) such a good book i picked it up randomly just to thumb through it and i got hooked into the first few chapters and i may uh i may end up finishing it in this past week it's by chad harbach came out i don't know about two years ago fantastic fantastic baseball book just okay so here's my funny story about that book that, that has come up recently um i read that book and i loved it so much that i never finished it Really? <laughs> um, and I was like, I was like, oh, I don't want this book to end, so I'm going to save it. And I think I have like 50 pages left of it <laughs> that I've never read. Um, and, I, and I'm and i trying to sort of pick the the best time to finish it. And I feel like that was like five years ago. It was. It, it, it came out, I'm just looking it up. It came out 2011, so it's older. I, I just came to it a, a few, uh, two, three years ago, but... Um, such a great book. So, uh, one last thing I want to ask before uh, before we wrap up: Is it weird that I miss Exhibition Stadium a little bit? Um, no, that's okay. totally not weird. And I actually, it's funny because I just wrote a piece for Canada 150 on Exhibition Stadium. Oh, nice. And uh, and I sort of like deep dived into research about it, and oh my god, it was abysmal. It was terrible. It was. It was so, and I didn't, I actually, I knew, I always knew it was bad. Um, I went as a kid, but I didn't, I didn't know the full scope of its terribleness until I did this like heavy research into it. Okay. And I think that it's human nature to love terrible things that are yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, and, and we do it, I mean, we do it with all sorts of things. Like when you love a really terrible TV show or, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's, it's the exhibition stadium is like, it's that really terrible TV show you loved as a kid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's funny. That's where I went to my first baseball game. It was, I was six years old. It was Blue Jays, Red Sox. I still have the ticket somewhere. And what I remember about it, if you've never, if you don't know, you should Google pictures of exhibition stadium. Cause it's just like basically a football stadium, like two like long rows of seats. And then they kind of weirdly put a baseball field in there. And I, one of my most vivid memories is this is back when the wave was new. So less annoying, but fans were doing, doing the wave and it got to the out to left field and it starts going in the left field stands and the left field stands just kind of like keep going and they don't wrap around. <laughs> they don't wrap around the stadium and stuff because it's an old football stadium. So they, they just keep going. So the wave would stop and then we'd have like a three second pause and then we'd pick it up in the right field stands along down the line where we were. So it was just like waiting for the imaginary fans in right field to do it. And then we started doing it as well. And I, and That's I just, amazing. I just I love that that era of sports. There's something about like the late '70s, early '80s when like this exhibition stadium was a dump, but that's a major league ballpark. Like major league baseball was played there for what ten years, eleven years or so, and like mm-hmm. like and and I just love that that was like the last like the weird nostalgia for this era before like it became super ba- like a lot of the big money started rolling in and just like this is this little dive ballpark was a baseball state and, and world series were played there. So, Oh no, they didn't make the world series then they lost in the, no, but, the, but they, I mean, did they not win? They won. They won, the, they won something there. They, the, yeah. The, the division titles. Yeah. They, 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 yeah, yeah. yes. 
So. Um, and my vivid memory is that, so the bleacher, remember the bleachers were like these long silver benches? Oh, yeah. And they spray painted the numbers on them <laughs> with like a stencil. And you couldn't sit on them because it was too hot, right? Like right. you couldn't actually sit. If you had shorts on, you couldn't sit on the metal benches because the sun made them too hot. So everybody had these cushions like a bring your own cushion situation. (laughs) Um, And people would sort of like MacGyver their own cushions out of plastic bags and newspapers, Mm -hmm. which is so like, to me, it's just so bizarre. Right. It was just, so terrible. And again, this is Major League Baseball. This is not like the like single A baseball where you go for a couple bucks and you have fun. This is big league. This was like at the highest level of baseball in the world. And well, and there there was another story I read because there was this great Sportsnet piece that which was like Beeston talking about the sort of the history okay. of of the stadium, and he was talking about so when it opened there there was no beer. And I think that was for a couple of years. They had no beer at Exhibition Stadium. So people just brought liquor. (laughs) And, and I know, right. And, and it was obviously it was freezing, right? Mm -hmm. Like April games, even May games were freezing. So people would just sort of like sit in their parkas and drink whiskey. (laughs) And he said in the interview that like at the end of a game, the garbage cans would be full of these like bottles of alcohol. (laughs) Like, like people weren't even concealing it. It was just, yeah. And there was all this chanting of we want beer. People would constantly chant. We want beer. That's amazing. It's amazing. It's like, and I'm sure it's one of those things like if you, if you were there and not like us, like five or six years old, you hated it. Right. But telling these stories and, and you know it's just legend like it's amazing it is there was there was a sorry to ramble about no, this, but there please. was like a kelly a kelly gruber home run okay that was an inside the park home run because the outfielder couldn't find it in the fog off the lake <laughs> <laughs> um and games were called off because of the weather and like like other teams forfeiting because they're like we're not going to play in this wet like a pitcher got blown over, apparently. <laughs> Amazing. Stacey, Stacey, Stacey <laughs> May, if okay. no, oh, we could do a whole podcast on just memories of Exhibition Stadium and the, and the CNE of the 1980s. Um, Stacey May, if people want to find you, where can they do so? Um, I am on Twitter at Miss Stacey May. Um, yeah, that's that's basically where to find me. Um, I'm writing weekly at Jay's Nation, and I write monthly at The Athletic Toronto. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's it. Well, this and, is a- and obviously I have to plug Baseball Life Advice, the book. Absolutely. It's worth it. Definitely check it out. And uh, thanks for joining me today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. It was great.